0: It's my honor and privilege to present to you Elder Greg Harrell, who will be bringing us the word. Can we show our appreciation to Brother Greg? Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Pastor Allen. And good morning, church. It's my privilege to bring the word this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to continue on in exactly the order that that the Holy Spirit revealed to Pastor Allen some number of months ago, we're going to continue to preach through the Gospel of John this morning, and so we'll start when we get there to in in John's Gospel, chapter three, and we'll pick up in verse twenty-two. So you can turn there, uh, and that's where we'll, we'll that's where we'll go. Before we do that, I need to actually depart a little bit from the reservation and even from my prepared. Uh, comments this morning. Um, I'm going to preach this morning on obeying the Holy Spirit. And so last night, early this morning, I was actually woken up by the Holy Ghost. And he told me that there is somebody that is in this sanctuary this morning that needs to hear this message. And I, I just want to depart a little bit and I want to tell you Whoever that somebody or somebody's are, that God loves you. You need to hear that. And no matter what you think you have done in regards to running away from the love of Jesus, you haven't run far enough. God loves you and you need to know that. And if that speaks to you, then what I'd like to do is I'd like to speak to you after the service this morning. We'll pray. Right into that. So, amen. Amen. I want to acknowledge this morning the, uh, our youth. What, I think we sent uh, 70 of our youth and, and workers up to Carrollton. So they're up there. Even now, being fired up by the Holy Spirit. And we're looking forward to their return and all that they will continue to do in this body amongst the people and in this community and throughout their lives. Praise God for that. Um, Before we get to the scripture this morning, I want to, I'm going to have to take a little bit of time here if you'll just indulge me. We've got to set the table for this passage that we see in the second half of John 3. Um, Each year, uh, right around the season that during which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the polling organization called the Rasmussen Organization, they're kind of like Gallup. They take a poll, and they've been doing this for at least the past five years, and, and in 2020, they, they asked the same question during this resurrection season polling. They ask a thousand Americans this question, do you believe that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead? Great question. 2012, 74 percent of the thousand people that they asked that question to responded, yeah I believe that. And if you look from during the season from 2007 to to 2012, the response ran between a low of 74 percent, a high of 78 percent, but it stayed in that range over the course of that five years. They asked that same question in 2013. And in 2013, only 64% of the people that responded said that they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whoa. And a full 19% of the people that they polled outright rejected Jesus completely. Rejected Jesus. Just Jesus. Doesn't have anything to do with me. So while one year and one result doesn't doesn't make a trend and and we don't necessarily need to respond to this but we do need to be aware of it. I mean that's a that's a significant departure from what we've been seeing. And coupled with the fact that, you know, each week uh, as Pastor Allen has preached, he's shown these videos and in the videos people the man on the street interview is who is Jesus? And I've got to tell you, brothers and sisters, that it breaks my heart to hear some of the answers that we've been hearing in these videos. Nobody. Jesus is a nobody to some of those people. Our heart as a body, our heart as believers, need to be broken when we hear that. We need to be crying out for those people. Okay, so this is this is the culture that we're dealing with today. And before we jump jump off into the Gospel of John, I wanna I wanna spend a little bit of time just kind of recapping why the Gospel of John was even written. And I, and I know Pastor Allen covered a bit of this, but I wanna go out go back and I wanna really underscore the reason for the existence of the Gospel of John. Because some of you may not know this, but John's Gospel was written. When John was at a pretty advanced age, he—it was written probably when he lived in Ephesus. He moved to Ephesus, uh, a city in Turkey, during the destruction of, of of Jerusalem by the Romans in the period 66 to 70 A.D. So John moves up to Ephesus, and he continues his ministry, and it's awesome, awesome ministry that he's got going on. Um. And during the early part of the church, the Christian church, a couple of things started to creep in to the, to the church. One was a thing called Gnosticism, which is just basically that if you have knowledge of good spiritual things, that you can go to heaven. And there was another idea that was creeping in, and that actually denied the pre-incarnate existence of Christ Jesus. And so John was moved, he was aware of these other three Gospels that we call the Synoptic Gospels, but he was moved to step out and and write his recollection down of what he remembered about Jesus Christ and the time that he spent with him. And And he comes out with this Gospel that is truly a presentation of the Lord God Jesus as God incarnate, God Emmanuel, God with us. God preexistent. Miraculous God, creator God, in the form of Jesus. And that's why the Gospel of John is so important to us today. Because we're standing in the same type of culture. We're standing in the same type of culture, a culture that would deny the deity of Christ Jesus. And we need to understand exactly what's going on here. Here's a man, John. The beloved that was one of the earliest disciples and certainly one of the closest disciples to Christ Jesus. He was part of the inner circle. And, you know, sometimes I'm going to, I'm going to depart here. Here's a little bit of a, something to to go home and think about after you leave here today. You know, I wonder what it would have been like to be somebody like John and to have lived for a period of time with Jesus, God, as He walked the face of the earth. And sometimes we think about ourselves and we think, man, i got faith because I believe in Jesus. But I think about the kind of faith that it would have taken John and the other disciples to lay down at night after seeing Jesus do these miracles and lay down and 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 they probably see Jesus laying there on the ground next to them. and, And they're looking at him and they're going, could this truly be God the Creator that is laying next to me? Think about that. Think about that. Take that home with you and think about it some more. It's an amazing thing to think about. Anyway, John was the beloved disciple closer to Jesus than probably just about anybody. And he steps out and he writes this wonderful gospel, the gospel of of John, that is the pure defense of Jesus Christ and his godliness. So let's uh let's put everything in context here about where we're going in terms of the of the scripture today. Um last week Pastor Allen did a, a wonderful job of delivering probably one of the most preached passages in the, in, in the entire Bible, the first part of John 3. And it's filled with just the awesome revelation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and, and Jesus responds to Nicodemus in a way that really makes it clear for us today that there are certain things that we've got to do in order to be saved and to be reconciled to God. And so our passage today, we go back and we're kind of reintroduced to this other John, a guy, well, I'll call him the baptizer. The baptizer. And I think it's important that before we get into into the Scripture, that we have to understand that John the Baptizer was a man on a mission. In the earliest verses of Luke chapter 1, we see the angel of the Lord Gabriel come to John's father Zacharias and say, uh, and tell, tell Zacharias who's old at the time and kind of, kind of like Abraham and saying, are you crazy? We're going to have a baby? I'm an old guy. And the angel of the Lord Gabriel says, yeah, not only are you going to have a baby, but it's going to be a special guy. It's going to be a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he's going to go out in the spirit of power and like Elijah, and he is going to prepare the people, prepare the people, make ready a way for the Lord. And that's his mission. He's going to prepare the people for Jesus. I'm going to tell you that I think that John the Baptist is probably the first spirit-filled Christian. Because in John the Gospel, John 1, we see that he's out there doing the thing that he is called to do by the Holy Spirit. And he looks up and he sees Jesus. And he proclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You recall that we heard that a few weeks ago. So John, immediately prompted by the Holy Spirit, doing the thing that he was called to do by the Holy Spirit, makes a proclamation, says there's a Jesus, and now we're going to be reintroduced to John the Baptist in the second half of John chapter 3. So we're going to take a look at John the Baptist, spirit-filled Christian, operating under the power and influence and at the direction of he, I want to make that personal, he, God's Holy Spirit. Okay. So before we get into the Scripture that uh, constitutes the, the main part of this message today. I want to read a couple of scriptures. I want to go further into the Gospel of John. I want to read a couple of scriptures that are necessary for, I think, our understanding of this passage. You can go ahead and throw those up there, Mary. John, and you don't have to turn there, because praise God, Mary's on the job. John 15:26. But when the Helper comes, that is the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He, the Holy Spirit, will testify of me. So Jesus is telling His disciples before He goes to the cross, He says, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to send you the, the Holy Spirit, the Helper. And these, these are some of the things that He's going to do. And let's go ahead and go to John 16, 14. And, and, and Jesus continues to speak to His disciples and He says, In John 16, 14, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So we see in these two passages, we see a couple of the main missions of the Holy Spirit. That is to testify of Jesus and to glorify Jesus. You see that? Everybody see that? Okay. Now I'm going to have my helpmate come up here and read the main part of the scripture for me so that I can be blessed. Nope. Nope.
2: <laughs> John three twenty two through 36. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing in Enon near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him.
1: good to have a helpmate. I'm a blessed man. There's a lot going on in the passage that uh, Marietta just just read to us. First off, we see Jesus and his disciples move away from that personal encounter that Jesus has just had with Nicodemus. So they've moved away from Jerusalem and they've gone into the, the land of Judea. And uh, according to the Greek in this passage, Jesus deatrival or tarries with his disciples in Judea. He's he's hanging out with his disciples, and during this time, the disciples, according to doesn't say it here necessarily, but uh in chapter four and verse two, um, the disciples begin to baptize people, I'm sure, at the direction of Jesus. Also at this time, John and and his crew of disciples they're they're in a place called Many Waters. That's what Enon means, Many Waters. And we don't know exactly where that is, but there, John is maintaining his good old wilderness his his wilderness uh, ministry. He's out there, and one of the one of the evidences I think of the fact that John the the baptizer is operating under the direction uh, uh, and the full influence of the Holy Spirit is that even though he doesn't have a flashy ministry going on, people are coming out to the wilderness where he's at, and they're coming out to hear him preach this pretty tough message. And they're coming out here to, to get baptized. So I think that John is operating exactly the way that the Holy Spirit is telling him to operate. Well, he's out there in the wilderness. So John the Baptist is out there, and he's on his game. You understand me? He's on his game. He's doing what he's told to do. Now, all of a sudden, we see some Jews come up to John the baptizer's disciples, and they begin to question the disciples about purification. Now that, that's what the, that's what the word that we just read said. The question, the disciples about purification, but really the Greek word would imply that there's more of a dispute about the, about this thing. About what's going on with the purification. So they're disputing maybe the validity of John's baptism, or they're comparing and they're bringing into question what's going on with John's baptism. Well the disciples are out there and and they're rocked back on their heels they hear the Jews come and they're doing their thing they've been on their game and next thing they know they've got this questioning going on and they would go running back to John the Baptizer and say, "Hey, we've got something going on here. In other words, the Jews questions to the John's disciples. Rock the disciples; it takes them out of their game. They immediately become victims of division and doubt. Division and doubt. You see that? They're victimized by division and doubt. This is somewhat akin to the wiles of the serpent in the garden. But I don't think that uh, I don't think that the devil was necessarily at work here with the with the Jews questioning the John's disciples I think that what goes on what's going on here and the reason that division and doubt creeps in is because the disciples receive the word and they begin to think to themselves and immediately the accuser that is the devil our enemy just like their enemy whispers in their ear and says yeah hey what about that What about that? You sure about what we're doing here? Isn't that like us? Isn't isn't that like us a lot? We're engaged in what we're supposed to be doing in the kingdom. And we're doing it. We're on our game. And somebody asks a question. Or somebody Comes to us and, and we receive it, even maybe it's not intended to be divisive or doubtful, but we hear that and then we begin to hear the voice of somebody that would take us out of our game. Right after that, the disciples of, of John the Baptist are Hit with the news that, hey, lots of people are getting baptized by Jesus' disciples. Uh-oh, ding, 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 new information. And immediately after that, so they've dealt with division and doubt, and now they've got kind of another punch going on. They're getting distracted, and they're suffering from diversion. As a matter of fact, if if, if Jesus' encampment was close enough, I'm sure that they would have probably crawled up on a hill and kind of looked down to see what was going on with Jesus and his disciples. The word doesn't say that, but it's certainly the way, that, the, the way that this is set up. So now they're distracted and they're diverted from the task that they have been assigned by the Holy Spirit through John the Baptist. They're focused on the dispute that they're having. They're focused about what's going on with Jesus and, and, and His crew. And you know, <clears throat> distraction and diversion are huge issues for us today as we operate in the Holy, as we operate under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many times, brothers and sisters, that, that, that I've made a determination, and maybe you can identify with this, but I've made a determination, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call so-and-so and just pray with them, because I know that they need somebody to pray with them. And invariably, about the time that I make that decision, I get a work phone call, or I get a stinking text message, or, you know, in, in some cases, I don't do this, but in some cases, you probably get maybe a a Facebook post that's more interesting, and it it takes you out of your game. We have so many media channels to deal with, brothers and sisters, today that we don't take the time to make sure that we are on point in regards to listening to what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. I'm not saying this to bring condemnation. No, no, not at all. What I am saying is that we need to turn back and to really begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, particularly given the fact that we are dealing in a culture that needs Jesus. It's so easy today for the voice of the Lord's Spirit to get lost in the background noise. The insidious thing about all this is that the culture, our culture, would tell you that, hey, it's cool to be connected. The more connected you are, the more friends that you have, the more loved you are, the more liked you are, the more important you are. No. 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 No, when it comes to the things of the kingdom of God, that's not it at all. We want to be connected with God's Holy Spirit. That's what we want to do. We want to take time to make sure that we are connected directly with the Holy Spirit and not allowing distraction or diversion to creep in. I would challenge not only myself, but each of us to take time to do that every day. We need to do it. The thing about diversion, and I just want to address this a little bit, but the thing about diversion is this. Sometimes we find ourselves, we're on the game. We're doing what God, the Spirit of God has told us to do. And so we're going along and we're we're going pretty good. And then slowly, 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 other things begin to creep in and to divert us, and it happens so slowly, it could be work. It could be work. It happens so slowly that the next thing you know, you look around and you are not doing all that you're called to do for the kingdom of the Lord. Just say it. Just say it. You know, as I preach this, I just want to, I want to I want to say one thing right here because I'm thanking God that God is able to redeem everything that I do in my flesh to take me out of his gate. Praise God. (laughs) All right. And if you went to, if if you go to a heavyweight fight, here's the thing. Sometimes a, a boxer will put together this mighty combination of one, two, three, four, five, six punches. And I mean, it's just devastating. And kind of like that, with the disciples of, of, of John the Baptizer, they get hit again. And the next thing that creeps in and devastates them in terms of their ministry is comparison and competition. Whoa. Comparison and competition. Competition. They go to John and they say, hey, all are going to Jesus to get baptized. All are going to Jesus. Like, it's a competition. Huh? All are coming to Him. Hey, hey John, what are we doing here? I want to be really clear on this point. Comparison and competition have no place in the work of the kingdom. Not, not any. Not any. Matter of fact, I'd probably argue that that comparison and competition were two of the key factors that led to the fall of of, of Lucifer. Lucifer said, hey, I'll set myself up above the Lord. Of course, that didn't last very long. He was booted right out. So comparison and competition can have devastating effects on the ministries that we are called to do, to walk in, by... The Spirit of the Lord. Okay. And again, these things are in our culture, particularly competition. This is an insidious thing because our culture loves a winner. Don't we? We love winners. And in every area of our lives almost, as far as our fleshly lives, we are graded. We are asked to, to, Rank ourselves sometimes. We are being ranked. Our performance is being looked at. We might put some comparison on ourselves. We might, you know, talk about the kind of car that we drive. The kind of house that we live in. John, John the Baptizer, he's, he's living out in the wilderness and he's, he's walking around in a camel hair tunic, eating locusts. But the, the culture, our culture today, loves winning. This is the reason that it's so tough for me at football season right now, because stinking Dallas, Cowboys are not doing any good. But, you know, Vince Lombardi said, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And Bill Parcells said, There is winning and there's misery. Whoa. There's winning and there's misery. And then what, a couple of years ago, was it, uh, uh, Charlie Sheen? You know, winning! That's all he had to say was winning. I like, uh, I like Lily Tomlin's comment and she said, you can win the rat race, but you're still a rat. So, the thing is, is that when we're talking about kingdom work, kingdom things, there is no place for competition or comparison. These things would lead to our taking ownership, and I actually have referred to it even, even in this, even in this message, so I I need to be aware of that, but our taking ownership of the, of the ministries that God has called us to. And that's not a good thing. We, we begin to say things like, my calling, my ministry, my gifting, my church, my church. Whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. Amen. Amen. We need to be really aware of taking ownership of the things of the Lord. He owns them. We're not going to win our way to heaven. Our way to heaven has already been won. Our victory was assured when Jesus went to the cross. And he won. And I didn't do anything. And I didn't deserve it. And Jesus won for me. And so I am a winner. Yes, I am. I'm a winner in the eyes of God because of what Christ Jesus did for me. So let's let's go back to, to John the Baptist. So John receives his disciples and they come back to him and they say, Hey, 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 John, John, John. This is what's going on. Jesus is out there. He's doing the baptism thing. And all are going to him. Well, just a few verses before, we see that, no, not all were going to him. John and his crew were, John the baptizer, was. they were baptizing too. So I think that there's probably a little bit of an overstepping there by the disciples. But what I love is this, and this is awesome, church. This is awesome. John, the baptizer, receives the disciples and he could have answered in so many different ways these concerns he could have answered in so many different ways he could have he could have gone off on an apologetics lesson you know he could have he could have argued with them he could have gone down there and talked to the Jews on their behalf but he didn't do any of that stuff he was operating he was on his game and he was operating under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit and here he goes. And this is the pattern for us, brothers and sisters, today. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Thank you, Lord. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. What He said back in John 1. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Can everybody say that with me? He must increase, but I must decrease see what john is saying in this portion of uh, uh, john the baptizer is saying in this portion of scripture is the true spirit breathed response it's the only true response that he can give the holy spirit working in him is jo- filled with joy because what he has just received is a report probably the first report that he's received that Jesus has become begun His ministry. The thing that He was supposed to do has started. Isn't that cool? This is, this is a response. These, these verses are a response. And it's exactly the response that you would expect to hear if the person of the Holy Spirit had received the same report. John is speaking the words of the Holy Spirit. There's no distraction, no competition, no, no division here. There's only love for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's love there. And there's joy that the bridegroom has arrived. Brothers and sisters, this is the way that we ought to respond. This is the way that we ought to respond when we hear a good report from another church that declares Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we see growth of a church, or we see growth of a ministry, or we see growth in an individual. Oh, not envy, not jealousy, but joy and love, knowing that God's kingdom is being built. When John says, he must increase, but I must decrease, a lot of people would say that John is making a personal statement there that he's comparing himself with Jesus and and he's displaying righteous humility. And I, I would tend to agree with that. Some people would say that what's going on there is that John is talking about his ministry, and Jesus' ministry. And there's probably some truth to that as well. But I have to tell you that what I believe is going on and what I want to declare over each and every one of us this morning is that this is the Holy Spirit speaking and literally testifying through John. He is bringing glory and a testimony of Jesus and John is saying, if it were, if it were so, and 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 we could argue that maybe it's not so, because in verse 34 of this gospel, um, um, John says that the Spirit, that the Lord doesn't give the Spirit with any type of a measure. But I think that what's going on here is John is saying he must increase, and I must decrease. That if there's any fleshly desire left in John. That John is crying out with joy, knowing that Jesus' ministry has begun on earth. And he's saying, Holy Spirit, fill me even more. Let my flesh get out of the way. I want to be a part of this. You get that? I want to be a part of this. This is big. This is the reason that I was born. And this is the reason that, that we want to be a part of this as well. So we want to be more effective at pointing people to Jesus. You know <clears throat> Many of you might have seen you see a, you see this on bumper stickers um, kind of those cut out vinyl things that people put on the back of their cars and I really like seeing them actually but the picture is always kind of a silhouette and and it's, uh, usually a cowboy and there's a cross there and the cowboy and sometimes a horse or, you know, different, different kind of things. But the cowboy is kneeling at the foot of the cross. Have you seen that? And that's awesome. I like, I, I like to see those. But there's one that I see that's out there, uh, in central Texas and I drive by it all the time and I really like this one. And that is, it's the only one I've seen that like this. But it's a cross that's standing out in this person's pasture and there's a a silhouette of a father, a cowboy father and he's got his arm around his son and both of them are pointing at the cross. And I love that picture. I love that picture. And that's the difference. That's what we are charged with today. Operating Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, our job is to testify of and glorify Jesus. That's what we want to be doing, church. Brothers and sisters, that's what we want to be doing. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that the rest of of John chapter 3 actually parallels the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. John telling his disciples that there is something going on here and that Jesus is the way. And I think that there's a parallel between the personal ministry of Jesus as he related to Nicodemus earlier in chapter 3. He has a one-on-one dialogue about how how Nicodemus can, can get to heaven, how he can overcome the wrath of God. And the last few verses of John chapter 3, where John is explaining to his disciples that the Holy Spirit has arrived and now the way to God is still through Jesus, but we're going to deliver that message in a much more widespread fashion. It's not going to be just Jesus delivering the message. All of us operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit, at the direction of God's Holy Spirit, we're going to be influencing people to turn to Jesus and to get to God through Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, that's what I have to preach. And now I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to give it back to Pastor Al. Lord God, we just, once again, we stand amazed as we get into Your Word, Father, and we understand the truth that You have declared to us. We thank You for this Gospel that declares the truth of, of Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, our Savior, our way into Your very presence, Lord. Father, as we cry out this morning, and I cry out not only for myself, but I cry out for the people that hear this message And we say, He, the Holy Spirit, must increase. And we stand before you and ask that you would make us decrease. Lord, use us as we leave this place this morning. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Let us bring joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit out into our community and to everybody that we come in contact with, Lord. Help us seize on those opportunities to lead, to show, to show people your mercy and your grace as evidenced through Christ Jesus. Lord, we give you praise for what you have done for us. We get you, give you praise for what you are doing even now in us. And we give you praise for what you're going to do, Lord. Help us declare your kingdom, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you so much, Greg. I love that passage. John talks about himself as a friend of the bridegroom, and friends of the bridegroom are happy for the bridegroom. Who's been to a friend's wedding? And you know the groom. Are you happy for the groom? Uh, God forbid that you should be sitting out there in the crowd being jealous of him. And uh, how many happy for the bride? But in the church, we actually are part of the bridal party. And no groomsman in his right mind would be jealous of the groom and think, why do we have to wear black tuxes? Why couldn't we wear white tuxes? Who does he think he is? Well, he's the groom. Hello. And so it is Jesus is the groom. And, and, uh, another way of looking at it is the bride is the church. Corporately, we are the church, but individually we're members of the bridal party. And in a wedding, it's really all about the bride. And uh, that's why the bride's dress is awesome. Sometimes a bridesmaid's dress is not so much. It's a painful thing for a bride to go through a wedding and her bridesmaids are jealous of each other. And so it is in church life when we have competition and we're distracted from our purpose. It's all about Him getting the glory. It really is all about Jesus. And yet the church has a purpose and so... We as Generations Church are one expression of the church in this community. There's many expressions. And so when one church is growing faster than us, we don't get jealous. Praise the Lord. The bride is growing. We're part of that. Amen. We don't, we don't want to be like those bridesmaids the bride wished she hadn't chosen. Or why can't I be the maid of honor? The groom and the bride hold the shots in their weddings. And so it is in the purpose of the church. God the Father is our Father. He's also our father-in-law. And so his son is the groom and his church is the bride. And we all play a part of cheering on the purposes of God because Jesus is our focus. Amen. Can we just show our appreciation for the word today? Thank you so much, Brother Gray.